This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. And the Oscar goes to... Yes, it's that time of year. Awards season. Pageantry, performances, and the awards, which acknowledge the best and the brightest in showbiz. The Oscars typically cap off awards season. By the time the Oscars air, there are already educated guesses and predictions about the way awards will be handed out. History tells us that when the bigger box office hits, our favorite to win awards, ratings for the Oscars tend to go up. But keeping an audience, particularly the 18 to 49 demographic engaged, remains a challenge. Part of that challenge is addressing the implicit racism, sexism, and ableism rampant within this established institution. Today, we discuss the 92nd Annual Academy Awards. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. You're with me, Juwita Gupta, host of the program. We're doing something really exciting where we get into some of the predictions for the 92nd Academy Awards. The Oscars will be airing this Sunday, which is um, February 9th on CTV, and you can catch it there. But before we get into talking about the Oscars, I just have a very important announcement to make. The Canadian Council of the Blind, Toronto Visionary Chapter, invites you to celebrate White Cane Week at this year's 2020 Experience Expo on Saturday, February 8th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Visit Canada's only exposition and consumer show for those living with vision loss. Hosted at the Miles Nadal Jewish Community Centre in downtown Toronto, visit more than 50 exhibitors featuring community groups, agencies, product and service providers serving the vision loss community. Admission to the expo is free, which is never a bad thing. You can visit www.ccbtorontovisionaries.ca forward slash WCW. That's for White Cane Week. And that's where you can get some more information. I have been to the six expo in the past. Um, I know that in years gone by, Kelly and company, so uh, Ramya and Kelly were at that event covering it off. And I think it's actually a really good opportunity to go. You not only get a chance to network with uh, other people and get to know about some of the services and products on offer for people who are living with vision loss, but it's a great way to spend a Saturday afternoon. That space, the JCC space, is really quite wonderful. They have a great swimming pool. I'm not sure if that's open to everyone or just to members. But also after the expo, if you still want to hang out with your friends and keep the conversation going, there are a number of great restaurants. So I hope you'll check out that event on Saturday, February 8th. All right. Without further ado, we are talking all things Oscars. My guest today is film critic, lecturer and writer, Angela, Angelo Moretto. You might remember him from the program a few months ago. He's written for Torontoist. Cinemascope, National Post, and Film Freak Central. Angela, welcome, or rather I should say welcome back to The Pulse. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you so much for having me back. It's wonderful to have you back. So let's just pick up the conversation where we left off three months ago, because I'm sure you remember exactly what we were talking about. But (laughs) what we were talking about was, it was around Halloween, and we were talking about disability representation in film, 
And I want to ask you, as we look to the Oscars and we think about some of the best films in the previous year, how are we doing on that score? Have you seen an improvement in disability representation? Anything notable stick out for you? Or is disability notable in its absence? Um, I think disability is notable either in its absence or in its continuing representation by non-disabled people. And I think we see that in Joker doing really well this year. Um, I think we do see a little bit of an improvement when we're looking at the TV side of things where we have more disability identified creators actually making shows about themselves. Like I'm thinking of shows like Special, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, or I'm thinking of Rami, which has a disabled character who is played by a disabled actor and is sort of based on that disabled actor's life. Mm -hmm. So I think we're seeing little incremental improvements in some of these more independent productions on television. I think we're not really seeing that happening on the film side at the moment. Mm -hmm. But hopefully we'll get there in years to come. Now, when you again just sticking with sort of reflecting on the year as a whole, how are you feeling about some of the movies that have been on the big screen in the last year? Are you feeling positive about the caliber of acting, uh, just about the storylines that are being explored? Have you been excited by some of the films that you've seen in the last year? I would say I'm excited by some of the films I've seen in the past year, and I think. Some of these nominees in particular are quite strong. I was quite a big fan of The Irishman, the Martin Scorsese film. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Speaking of disability, I think it's an interesting movie about aging and aging-related illnesses that Mm -hmm. sort of dovetails with disability issues, even though it's not a movie that I think a lot of people have talked about in that context. But I think it does clearly come from the experience of a filmmaker who is getting a bit older and sort of feeling his... Um, his body change and sort of thinking about, you know, things gone by and his past. And and that's a movie that really worked for me for a lot of reasons related to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Little Women is quite a strong uh, nominee this mm-hmm. year, directed by Greta Gerwig. Uh, some people argued before it came out, like, do we need another adaptation of Little Women? The one from 1994 is still quite good mm-hmm. and still feels quite contemporary. But I was really impressed by how that film felt like a very contemporary adaptation while also remaining true to the novel while mm-hmm. also sounding like a Greta Gerwig film. Yeah, I love um, the feminist undertones in that film. I mean, especially Joe's character came off as being really strong and true to the original character. And just between the two of us, you can never have enough adaptations of Little Women. I loved that book. <laughs> it was my Bible uh, in a lot of ways as a young woman growing up. And I just, I adored that iteration of the film. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's <laughs> let's sort of try and feel our way around the Oscars a little bit. So um, after the uh, debacle in 2018 and the numbers kind of dropped down, the the viewership went down, the ratings fell, uh, those have sort of inched back up a little bit. And we know that in 2019, after a 20-year break, uh, they actually had an Oscar without the host when Kevin Hart pulled out. They're planning to go with that same formula. Apparently, they liked what they saw. How are you feeling about a hostless Oscars? I think it will be okay. Like, I think it was more or less okay when they tried it last year. Uh, I do think it makes it a bit harder for them to promote. It sort of makes it seem a little bit like this is a thing that's happening that no one is really excited Mm -hmm. about. They don't have someone out there actually promoting it. But I think in terms of the way that the night was structured, they actually did a reasonably good job of it last year of kind of pairing presenters who kind of had that host vibe at different points, like I think Amy Poehler and uh, Tina Fey were mm-hmm. sort of used in that way. And I, I think they'll, we'll probably see something similar this year where you have people who kind of work well together for a couple of minutes kind of hosting individual segments. So mm. 
I don't think it was a huge loss necessarily. I do think it sort of creates this problem for getting people excited about the awards going forward if there's not a central figure attached to it. Mm. That's a really good way to anticipate my next question because I really want to get into this. How excited are people award about the awards? I mean, a lot of people say, oh, that's always too long and they don't want to have to commit the time. And yet, you know, the numbers have been back and it is still quite popular. And the numbers did creep up a little bit in 2019. I think it largely depends on the movies that are nominated mm-hmm. in this year. There happened to be quite a number of you know, box office draws that were nominated. And I think there are people from different sorts of communities who are excited. So mm-hmm. I think you're going to have a lot of comic book fans because of Joker, right? A lot of Quentin Tarantino fans showing up yeah, to see yeah. how Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that you're going to see a lot of people who are very excited about seeing a film like Parasite. Mm-hmm. We're speaking to Angelo Moretta, who is a film critic, writer, and lecturer, and apparently a mind reader, because Angelo, what I was about to ask you about was Parasite. Um, <laughs> this is a film that's breaking a lot of records. Do you feel that it has a, any, a chance of actually walking away with Best Picture? I think it has a very good chance of walking away with Best Picture, which seems maybe like a strange thing to say, given that foreign films have not won before. Last year, actually, a film not in the English language had a very good chance of, of winning, which is Roma, oh, which yeah. ultimately didn't end up happening. And some people argued, you know, maybe because it's on a streaming service, they didn't take it quite as seriously. Mm. I think Parasite is different. Um, Bong Joon-ho is a very smart genre filmmaker. He's very good at making movies that it's really difficult to kind of categorize what they are. You could say this movie is a black comedy. You could mm-hmm. say it's kind of a, a thriller, a horror movie. You could say it's a social issues movie about class and about wealth disparity in South Korea. It's doing a lot of things, and it's doing a lot of them really expertly well, while also being very funny uh, very expertly directed, a lot of really great comic set pieces of people kind of hiding in the background of sets and kind of figuring out how to manipulate spaces that they might not otherwise be comfortable in. Uh, it's just a movie that really, I think it plays very well for cinephiles who know a lot about filmmaking, but it mm-hmm. also plays very well for people who are just going to movies to see like a really well-engineered script with great characters and a great ensemble performing, you know, at the best of their abilities. So mm. it, it really hits on a lot of fronts and it's very accessible while also being the kind of movie that film snobs also really love. <laughs> Speaking of accessible, uh, you yeah. know, um, what about a, an audience goer or a film watcher with a visual disability, someone who's blind or partially sighted? That uh, it puts them in an interesting position when you go to watch a foreign language film because there is a need to translate the dialogue Uh, that has to work with audio description, and that can pose some unique challenges. How available, would you know, are foreign language films in a descriptive, uh, with described video, but also um, that work to accommodate the specific needs of audience members who are blind or partially sighted? It's a good question, and I suspect uh, the numbers probably are not very impressive. Mm. And I suspect it's probably much worse at the theatrical level than it would be at home box office. So, My sense of how these things work is that probably, you know, these films become a bit more accessible once they are actually available at home and people can kind of, you know, work out their own situations as they do. But I think theaters are really struggling and really lacking in this regard. Mm. So let's talk about, Angela, some of the snubs that have made headlines this year. Adam Sandler from Uncut Gems didn't get a nomination. Uh, Jennifer Lopez also left out. And, of course, you mentioned Little Women and Greta Gerwig did, did, did not get a, a nomination either. So what do you make of all of these snubs? 
I think they are all snubs in the sense that all of them had really strong support bases. Like Jennifer Lopez obviously has huge, a huge global fan base. And she was one of the earliest performers to really gain traction in awards season, I would say. Like even before that film came out uh, at TIFF earlier in the fall, people were sort of buzzing about it being like, um, an all-woman version of a Scorsese movie. And Lopez was sort of seen as the great hope of that movie. In Sandler's case, people have really been beating the drum for him online. And he's he's often been kind of on the verge of the Oscar conversation. Punch Drunk Love kind of put him on the verge of it. Uh, a couple of years ago, he was in a Noah Baumbach movie, The Meyerowitz Stories, which kind of put him on the verge of it. And I think he's terrific in the movie. I think uh, Adam Sandler's performance in Uncut Gems is one of the great performances this year. But I think at the same time, a lot of these snubs, you can sort of you can sort of see them coming ahead of time if you've seen the you know the way that these awards go. So in Gerwig's case, for example, uh, there are ten Best Picture nominees nominated, and there are five slots for Best Director. And if you look around at the categories, like what got nominated there, where it sort of seems like Little Women was maybe the kind of movie that landed around number six, number seven, that has a lot of broad support, but for some reason, people don't see it as like their top one or top uh, two movie. And I think part of the problem Gerwig faced is that there's a kind of prejudice in the Academy and the best director category. Certainly there's a prejudice against women directors, mm-hmm. seen, and we, which we saw this year as well. There's also a prejudice against um, movies where people are talking and movies that are a little bit lower stakes than some of the more high stakes movies like 1917. Mm -hmm. They really look for flashy, whiz-bang kind of uh, performances from directors in that category. So it made a kind of sense for her to miss out on that category. But I think, you know, all of the things that people are saying about how women directors have a really hard time getting nominated are also true, even if that's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Sandler's case, I think the movie is kind of hard to watch. And so a lot of people probably didn't watch it or found it kind of a slog um, or, you know, maybe didn't take it seriously because it's kind of a thriller. It's kind of a dark comic thriller. But as is always the case in these scenarios, I think um, the individual fan bases of these people are going to keep these performances and these movies alive, mm-hmm. even though the Academy didn't like it or eat maybe because the Academy didn't like it, right? It'll sort of give it a second life. Yeah. Well, I was particularly disappointed about an all-male nominee lineup for Best Director. I really hoped we'd turned a corner there. But again, I guess the eternal question is, are these snubs or, you know, to your point, are they just sort of awarding the best work or nominating the best work, especially when you think about uh, Little Women and Greta Gerwig? I think from their perspective, they think they're awarding the best work. But I think there are certainly systematic factors involved in what gets seen as the best work in the first place or what movies are Academy members watching. This was Mm -hmm. a very good year for films directed by women that were in kind of the periphery of the Oscar conversation. So Little Women is one example, but also Honey Boy, which is directed by Alma Harrell, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which was directed by Mariel Heller. That was a film that, you know, made it into the Oscar conversation, but for some reason never made it into the Best Picture or Director Sweepstakes, or The Farewell, which is directed by Lulu Wang. So mm-hmm. these are films that did really well with critics and that were kind of being positioned as awards movies for one reason or another, maybe Academy members didn't watch their screeners or they just didn't think they were good enough. But I think at some point we have to start asking the question of like, what reads is good enough for these people? And why is it always that it ends up being five men who are directed, right? Right. Uh, who, are, who are the nominees for Best Director? 
We're speaking to Angelo Morvetta, who is a film critic, writer, and lecturer. We are going to now get your predictions for the 2020 Oscars, beginning with Best Supporting Male Actor. So we've got Tom Hanks in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. We have Anthony Hopkins in The Two Popes, a film that my husband really liked. We've got Al Pacino in The Irishman, which you've spoken quite glowingly about. Joe Pecci also in The Irishman. And Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Where do you think, uh, who's going to walk away with the award? Uh, All of them are quite great. I think Brad Pitt is most likely to be the winner here, Mm -hmm. in part because it's kind of a lead performance, and sometimes lead performances or secretly lead performances do really well in this category. I think he's also very well-liked. He's won an Oscar before, but only for producing. Uh, And so this is the first chance for, you know, his peers to give him an Oscar as an actor. I also think he's great in the movie. He's really funny in this movie, and he's really... Uh, there's a kind of warmth to his character, despite mm-hmm. some shady things in the character's <laughs> past that some people have, have commented on. I think that's probably going to be the one that wins. All right. We will note that one down and see how you how that prediction fares. Let's move on to uh, Best Supporting Female Actor. We've got Kathy Bates in Richard Jewell, Laura Dern in Merit Story, Scarlett Johansson in um, Jojo Rabbit, of course. Florence Pugh, Little Women, and Marco Robbie in Bombshell. Who are you sort of rooting for? I think I'm probably rooting for either Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell or Florence Pugh and Little Women. I think mm-hmm. both of those were really great performances and kind of unsung, true supporting performances where they're kind of in support of the lead in their respective movies. Uh, I think it's pretty clear, though, based on the way that this season has gone with people winning awards before that Laura Dern is probably going to win it for Marriage mm-hmm. Story. And she's good in the movie, although I would argue she doesn't really have that much to do in the movie. She's kind of nailing an easy character for her. But everybody loves Laura Dern. I love Laura Dern. And I think that's going to sort of push her over the top. Amazing. All right. Let's move on to Best Male Actor. We've got Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory playing a role that's a little bit out of character for him. Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver, again, another nod for Merit Story. Joaquin Phoenix in Joker, solid performance there, if I do say so myself, and Jonathan Price in The Two Popes. So what's your prediction there? I think Joaquin Phoenix is going to take it for Joker. Uh, And I think in part it's because he's seen as being overdue. He's been nominated Mm. a number of times before. He's been excellent in those films. He's good in Joker. Joker is a film that's very popular, so I think this is the one that's probably going to seal the deal for him. Let's talk a little bit about best female actors. So hopefully I won't stumble over any of these names. We've got five nominees. We've got Cynthia Erivo in Harriet. You've got Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story. Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. Charlize Theron in Bombshell. And our last one is Renee Zellweger in Judy. So in your opinion, who is most likely to take the award? I think it's probably going to be Renee Zellweger for Judy, in part because it's a really big showy performance. It's a biopic. She gets to sort of fall apart in a lovable way. She gets to play a very recognizable performer. She gets to sing. She gets to dance a little bit. Some might argue that Scarlett Johansson has a shot or Saoirse Ronan has a shot because both of their films are nominated for Best Picture, and that means the Academy will be watching them. But Mm. 
I think the smart money would be on Zellweger. Right. All right. Let's. Uh, let, I know we talked a lot about Best Director, particularly who's not in the lineup. But let's just go over the nominees here. We have the Irishman, which is the Martin Scorsese film. You've also got the Joker, and directed by Todd Phillips, nineteen seventeen, and Sam Mendes for that one. Once Upon a Time in in Hollywood, which was the Tarantino film that you talked about earlier. And, of course, you've got Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. So some really tough ones there to pick out of. Which one would you say is most likely to win? I think it's probably going to end up being Sam Mendes for 1917 because that's the most visibly directed film. It's got a, uh, a lot of long takes, which are disguised as one major long take that runs throughout the film. So it's very technically impressive. He's also won in this category before for American Beauty. Mm-hmm. I think there's a small chance that Tarantino gets his first Best Directing Oscar, although I don't think it's likely. And I think uh, Bong Joon-ho has an outside shot for Parasite as well. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk a little bit about those international films, Parasite being amongst them. We've got a couple of nominees here. Corpus Christi, that is out of Poland. Honeyland, which is another one. Uh, Les Miserables, which is from uh, France. Pain and Glory, which we talked about earlier, coming out of Spain. And, of course, Parasite from South Korea. So do you think Parasite is likely to get uh, this, the Best Foreign Feature Film Award? I think so. Uh, and I think Parasite will probably win because the the most popular, most visible visible film typically wins mm. in this category, particularly if it's also nominated in other categories like Best Picture. I do think Pain and Glory is a very popular film, so that has an outside shot. I also think Honeyland has a, a small outside shot because it's also been nominated in Best Documentary, which is virtually unheard of. So mm. if two different branches of the Academy really love it, there's a small chance, but I think Parasite's the, the obvious choice here. Yeah, my money's on Parasite as well. Okay, now it's time to get your prediction for Best Picture. This is, of course, the one that we've all been waiting for. And you've got some really big na- pictures in here, 1917, uh Ford versus Ferrari, which is a, a car racing film. I didn't actually see it, but I think it's the only one of its kind to be nominated in quite some time. We've got Joker in there, no surprises. I mean, they ran away with the nominations, 11 in all. You've got Parasite in there, as we mentioned, and Marriage Story, as well as The Irishman. You, We have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Little Women, and uh, Jojo Rabbit. So you've got, some really, you've got some really strong films in there, and I am... I would be hard-pressed to pick just the one, but what's your prediction? It's it's the category I'm most sort of torn about. Mm. I think if you're looking at the precursors and you're looking at the kind of movie that usually wins this category, 1917 looks like a pretty safe bet. It won the Director's Guild Award, which often is a good predictor. Uh, so, you know, it has a chance. It's a war movie. It's very technically impressive. I think because of the way they vote, there's a preferential ballot where mm-hmm. you know, the subsequent votes on people's lists, number two, number three, yeah. uh, have a lot of weight. I think Parasite has a really good chance. That's a movie that's very well loved across the Academy. Uh, it won the Screen Actors uh, Guild Award for Best Ensemble, which is a big deal for a movie of this kind. Mm-hmm. The first time a non-English cast has won that award. Um, and I think just the fact that it feels very topical, and it's very entertaining while also being very smart, may, makes that the kind of movie that a lot of people will want to see rewarded. It would also be a history-making win mm-hmm. uh, because we haven't seen a foreign language film win before. So 
I'm betting on Parasite, but you know, keep in mind that 1917 is probably the safer choice. All right, so 1917 is a safer choice, but Parasite might be the more uh, historic choice because I believe this is would this be the first time that uh, a film might win both the foreign language category as well as um, Best Picture? Yeah, a few have come close, but this would be the first time if it yeah. manages to pull them both off. That would be quite impressive. Well, just in the few minutes that we've got left, I, I want to thank you, of course, for, for sharing all of your Oscar predictions. But, Angelo, you've been keeping really busy. And one of the things that you're working on is a four-part series that looks at disability on in film in Toronto. Uh, it's taking place in late February. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we're coming back on February 20th, and it's going to be a session on disability and sexuality on screen. So we'll be looking at movies, we'll be looking at television shows, uh, stuff like Coming Home, 37 Seconds, which recently was released on Netflix, The Sessions. We might have time to look at Special, the TV show that's also on Netflix. So basically thinking about how has disability been represented in film and TV with respect to issues of sexuality. Do we see it on screen? Mm -hmm. Is it depicted as awkward? Is it depicted as positive? Uh, Do we have a lot of different kinds of representation? So we'll see. We'll be watching some clips and we'll have some some lecture for me and also some opportunity for people to discuss in the room as well. Oh, that's excellent. And this is part of a four-part series, so I take it you'll have a few more in the weeks to come, right? Yeah, we'll be looking at biopics uh, in a subsequent session, so movies about famous disabled people, why there are so many of them, and mm-hmm. why those seem to be the place that disabled people find themselves represented. And then we'll be looking at disabled children and what sorts of conversations have come up around disabled children in movies and TV shows. Right. Well, where can we get more information about the series if someone would like to attend? Uh, you can find an Eventbrite link, but you can also find information through uh, Real Abilities, through their website and through their Facebook. Wonderful. Well, Angelo, thank you very much for speaking to us today, and we will keep a lookout for all of your predictions, and I hope you have a wonderful Oscar night. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. That was uh, film critic, uh, writer, and lecturer Angelo Moretta, and he has written for a number of publications and is now putting on a four-part series that looks at disability in film and that's taking place uh, in Toronto. We'll put up the details about that event on our show blog, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. And what we're going to do as well, and you can check that out on the show blog, is put out our predictions in the various categories you heard from Angelo, but you also get to hear from me. You get to hear from Sam, our technical producer, and our resident movie buff, Andrika Delanerol, has watched a lot of these films. Sometimes she's watched them multiple times. And so we'll be getting a lot of our predictions, and we'll see how we all fare after the Oscars. So I hope you'll tune into that. The show is available uh, as a podcast if you want to check it out there. And, of course, while you're subscribe, don't forget to subscribe, like, and rate the podcast. I want to wrap up with a quick thought of the day. I think the Oscars can be really interesting. I know that's had its fair share of controversies. In fact, you could be perfect if you wanted to be perfectly honest. There's probably something that goes wrong every year. Nevertheless, I think it does prompt a larger conversation about making not just the Oscars inclusive, but also making films inclusive of people of color, women uh, in any capacity in front of and behind the camera, and especially people with disabilities. But acknowledging all of that is important. But I think it can also be a lot of fun to watch the Oscars despite some of the 
problems and the drawbacks. Uh, I have a couple of friends who host Oscar viewing parties and it can be a lot of fun to get together with friends and take it in and take in the pageantry at a time of year when largely owing to the weather, I don't think a lot of people go out and socialize. So I hope you will all tune in for that and see how we fare on our predictions. We want to thank Angelo Moretta for being our guest today. The Pulse is produced by Enrica Delanerol, technical producer Sam Robinson. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And of course, thank you so much for listening to the program. You can reach out to us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI and let us know your predictions for the Oscars. We would love to hear from you. You can also write to feedback at AMI.ca or give us a call at one 866 509-4545 that's 1-866-509-4545 let us know if we have your permission to play the audio on the program How, thanks a lot for being a part of the conversation you've been listening to The Pulse on AMI-audio I've been your host Joy Gupta. thanks and have a wonderful rest of your day This was an AMI podcast for more accessible media visit AMI.ca Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.